We're in a new series called By the Numbers. Today we're shifting gears and we're going to start to explore specific numbers that occur in the Bible, how they are used and their significance as they are used throughout the Bible. The Bible is incredibly interconnected with threads that run through it from beginning to end. In this podcast, I will uncover these threads, help you dig deeper into God's truth, and inspire you to live your life with greater confidence and joy. Welcome to Bible Threads with me, Dr. Bruce Becker. In the first episode, we talked about numbers in general, where they came from, what they are and represent, and especially what they tell us about the God who created the universe. In case you missed it, here were the key takeaways. I think they are worth repeating. Think of the number known as pi, 3.14159, and it goes on and on. It's a number that is infinite and has so many applications. It reminds us of our infinite, eternal God. Or, number two, the Fibonacci sequence and spiral, named for the Italian mathematician Leonardo Fibonacci. Even though it was God who created this phenomenon, it reveals the absolute beauty and intricacy of God's creation. For example, the sunflower spiral reveals the mathematical mind of God. Thirdly, God demonstrates his truth and unity in creating mathematical concepts that never change. Two plus two always equals four. Don't buy into the lie that two plus two equals five or that two plus two equals whatever you want it to be. Finally, we need to remember that numbers and mathematics never originated in the minds of human beings. They were created from the mind of God. Human mathematicians, scientists, and scholars have only discovered what God had already created. Today we're going to explore the number one. Now, you might recall from previous comments I made that I had planned to cover both the number one and the number three in this episode. But you know what? I kept discovering more and more threads in the Bible dealing with the number one. So that's the only number we're going to dig into today. The number one occurs almost 2,500 times in the Bible, at least if you're following the NIV translation. Most often it's used as a simple adjective to indicate a single unit of whatever. It's an adjective that can be used to describe people, places, or things, and a lot of different things. It's also used to describe a group or a category, such as one tribe or one nation. Now, let me give you a roadmap so you know where we're going next. I'm going to share a number of phrases from the Bible that include the word one. After we explore these different phrases, I'm going to tie them all up in a bow with a single Bible passage from the book of Deuteronomy. And this is a verse that I want to encourage you to memorize. All right, let's go. 
In the Bible, there are hundreds of times the phrase, the one, is used. When the word one isn't capitalized in our English translations, it refers to people, places, or things. But more than a dozen times in the Bible, the phrase, the one, is capitalized. And whenever it is capitalized, it is a reference to the Lord God. And it's the context that indicates this. For example, in Psalm 2, we read, The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. The one is the Lord God. Or in Revelation chapter 11, we read, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The one in this passage is the eternal God. There's another phrase that occurs just five times in the New Testament. It's the phrase, one God. Now, can you pick out what all five verses have in common? The first time that one God occurs is in Romans chapter five, or chapter three, rather. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. The next example is in a letter the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians living in Corinth. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. The one God is the God who created all things. Paul says much the same thing in his letter to the Ephesians. There is one God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. In his letter to Pastor Timothy, Paul wrote, For there is one God, and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. Now, the fifth time this phrase is used is in James chapter 2. He says, You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So what do these five verses all have in common? Well, both Paul and James are emphasizing that although people believe and follow many different gods, the truth is that there is only one God. He is the God who created and rules this universe. He is the same God who showed his love to the world, even after the first couple disobeyed him, by sending a substitute, his own son, who lived a perfect life for us and died on the cross to pay the cost of God's justice for mankind's disobedience. There is only one God. Now here is something interesting in the four verses that the Apostle Paul wrote. In the Greek language, word order in sentences can have significance. The first word in a Greek sentence is often written for emphasis. Guess what word Paul put first in all four of these examples? The word one. Another similar phrase is one Lord. 
This occurs three times in the Bible. The first is in Zechariah chapter 14 in the Old Testament, where the prophet is prophesying about the last day, judgment day, when the Lord returns. He says, The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day there will be one Lord, and his name the only name. The second occurrence is in the Corinthian verse that we read before. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom all things came and for whom we live, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. The third verse is part of the Ephesians passage that we also just read. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. In this one verse, the word one occurs six times. In all of these preceding verses, there is an obvious relationship identified between God the Father and God the Son. Jesus probably best explained it with words that just might challenge our puny brains. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Jesus spoke these words as part of a longer dialogue with the Jewish religious leaders who were questioning Jesus as to whether he claimed to be the promised Messiah. This exchange occurred at the temple in Jerusalem during the Feast of Dedication, which, by the way, Jews today celebrate as Hanukkah. And after Jesus stated that he and his father are one, do you know what the Jewish religious leaders wanted to do? They picked up stones to stone him. And when they tried to grab Jesus... He slipped right out of their hands. This statement of Jesus shows the unique relationship of the Father and the Son. They are one. So, is the Holy Spirit left out of our discussion of the number one? Not at all. Another similar phrase is one spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we learn about spiritual gifts given to us by the Spirit. Paul wrote, To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. Then later in the chapter, Paul wrote, For we are all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Hey, would you permit me to take a short commercial break right here? I recently finished writing a new book on spiritual gifts. The title of the book is Gifted for More. In it, I take a deep dive into 1 Corinthians 12 and some other chapters of the Bible that speak about spiritual gifts. The book is available right now at timeofgrace.org. Okay, commercial break over. Back to the one spirit. In his letter to the Christians living in Ephesus, The Apostle Paul wrote, For through him, and the him is Jesus, we both, 
the both refers to Jews and Gentiles, have access to the Father by one Spirit. Later in the letter, Paul has another reference, which I mentioned a minute ago. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. In the letter to the Philippians, Paul wrote one other time, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one Spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. So, we've explored five different phrases that use the word one to refer to the Lord God. The one, one God, one Father, one Lord, one Spirit. There's one more phrase, no pun intended, worth mentioning. It's the phrase, mighty one. I'll have to admit, this one surprised me a bit. The phrase, mighty one, occurs in the Bible more often than all of the other phrases we looked at put together. 17 times in all, all referring to the Lord God. By the way, there's also a reference to mighty ones in the Psalms that refers to the angels in heaven. Most of the references to mighty one are found in the Old Testament, 14 in all, and only three in the New. Let me share a couple of the more impactful references. In Joshua chapter 22, we read about the two and a half tribes of Israel that ended up settling on the east side of the Jordan River. They were the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh. Manasseh was one of Joseph's sons. How and why they ended up outside the land of Israel is rather interesting. It's, it's worth a read sometime in the book of Joshua. Anyway, after the land of Canaan was conquered and occupied by all of the twelve tribes, the two and a half tribes built a huge altar near the Jordan River. When the rest of the tribes heard about this altar, they assembled at Shiloh to go to war against the two and a half tribes. And why? Because the other tribes assumed that they had built this altar to worship false gods and idols. Phineas, the high priest at the time, and ten of the leading men, one from each of the nine tribes, plus a leader from the other half-tribe of Manasseh, were sent to confront the leaders of the two and a half tribes. After they were confronted, the leaders of the two and a half tribes defended their actions by shouting out, The Mighty One, God, the Lord. The Mighty One, God, the Lord. He knows, and let Israel know. If this has been in rebellion or disobedience to the Lord, do not spare us this day. In other words, you guys have got it all wrong. We didn't build this altar to offer burnt offerings and other sacrifices. We built it as a testimony between the tribes on the west side of the Jordan and the two and a half tribes on the east side. 
We don't want the day to come in the future when the Western tribes claim no relationship with the Eastern tribes. This altar will be a lasting reminder of our bond together. It's an interesting story. Joshua chapter 22. One lesson to learn from this is not to assume the worst, as the Western tribes did, because we all know what happens when we assume. Another reference to Mighty One is in Psalm 50, a psalm composed by Asaph. He begins the song, The Mighty One, God, the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to where it sets. Did you catch that? Asaph used the exact words as did the leaders of the two and a half tribes. The Mighty One, God, the Lord. Asaph reminds us again that the Lord God is in total control of the universe he created, even with the sun rising and the sun setting. Jesus even used this phrase. He spoke it when he was on trial before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council. This occurred after Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he was betrayed by Judas, but before he was led to face trial before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. Jesus was being questioned by the high priest. In response to the high priest asking whether Jesus considered himself the promised Messiah and the Son of God, Jesus replied, You have said so. But I say to all of you from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus referred to God the Father as the Mighty One. He was speaking about two future events. One was his ascension back into heaven to sit at the Mighty One's right hand, and the other was looking ahead to Jesus' return on the last day, when he would come on the clouds of heaven. I said earlier that after we looked at these various phrases that use the word one to describe the Lord God, that I would tie them all up in a bow by looking at one verse from the book of Deuteronomy. It's chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This verse is known as the Shema, or the Shema Yisrael. Shema is the first word in the verse and is often translated as hear. But the word means more than just hearing the word pronounced. It has the force of listen up, take heed to what's about to be said, and it even can mean obey what is about to be said. The word translated as Lord is Yahweh, the God of free and faithful grace. The word translated as God is from the Hebrew word Elohim, which, by the way, is a plural noun. That should give you some insight into the one God. Yahweh, who revealed himself to Abraham, is the one true Elohim, the one true God. I'd like to encourage you to memorize this verse because it tells us so much about the one true God. And if you want to memorize it in Hebrew, I'd be happy to teach it to you. So, where does this bring us? The number one, as it is used in the Bible, signifies two things. And this is, the, and this is key. Unity and primacy. 
There is unity between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Bible scholars refer to this as the oneness of the Godhead. Now, we'll talk more about this next time when we take a look at the number three. There's also primacy in the number as it relates to the Lord God. On Mount Sinai, what was the first commandment that God gave to Moses and the people of Israel? You shall have no other gods before me. Now, God wasn't saying, well, you can have other gods as long as I'm first. No, no, no. God was telling his people that he doesn't want his people to have any other gods in his sight, in his presence. There can only be one number one. There can't be two number ones, only one. And that's a claim God makes for himself. The number one is ultimately God's number. The concept and meaning of the number one is found throughout the Bible. And before we wrap up today, let me give you three other brief examples of how the number one shows up in different ways. Let's first go back to creation, the very first chapter of the Bible. When God created the first male and the first female, he created them in his own image to be like him. And he created the two of them for each other in what God designed as marriage. Just as there is unity and oneness in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so there is unity and oneness in God's design for marriage. Jesus said, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become, listen, one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. God designed the oneness relationship of husband and wife to be a reflection of the oneness of God. Isn't that awesome? For our second example, let's go to the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22. There Jesus tells us something about himself. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus is the Alpha, the first letter of the Greek alphabet. And as I've pointed out before, the letter Alpha also doubles for the number one. Jesus makes a claim for himself that he is numero uno. And by the way, that's about all the Spanish I know. Last example. The Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the Christians living in Colossae, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The firstborn over all creation. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you've ever had a conversation at your front door with someone who is a Jehovah Witness, they would say that this verse means that Jesus was the first thing that God created. You see, they don't believe that Jesus is God, only that he is the first creation of God. JWs believe that Jesus is a son of God in the same way that you and I are sons of God. But that's not what the word means. 
Firstborn, it's one word, does not mean first created. Any Greek lexicon or dictionary will reveal that firstborn means existing first or existing before. And in the context of this verse, Jesus existed before all creation, or we could say that he existed before anything was created. It's another reference to the number one and the fact that one is the number that reveals God's unity and priority. The number one. It's one of the threads that we discover in the Bible, and today we only scratch the surface. As you read and study your Bibles, look out for the number one and how it is used. You'll see example after example. As I've hinted at already in our next episode, we'll explore the number three, also one of the numbers for God. If you have any thoughts or questions about this podcast, please email me at bruce at timeofgrace.org. I'd love to hear from you. And if you're looking for other video, audio, or print content to help you grow in your knowledge of God and deepen your relationship with Him, check out what we have to offer at timeofgrace.org. And if you're interested in my book on spiritual gifts, Gifted for More, you'll find it there as well, along with a companion book written by podcaster and author Amber Albee Swenson entitled Chosen for More. Get your copies today by going to timeofgrace.org. Thanks for listening, and God bless.